Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another spooky edition of Fantastic Minute, the show where we talk about Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox one minute at a time. And it's not spooky. I was doing a throwback to an old episode. Minute 37 is what we're talking about right now. I'm Tyler Boudreaux. I'm Kondra Boudreaux and incredibly confused. Minute 37 starts with Mick Jagger singing Get Down, which is thematically appropriate because at the time tractors are digging down in the ground. And it ends with Ash saying, that's great, but sarcastically. Ash, what are we going to do with this boy? Kill him. Uh, that escalated quickly. So we see the tractor <laughs> digging out the, the hole, the fox home in the tree. And it looks like, so you know, there's this like famous cookie monster photo of him like bite, taking a bite out of the moon. And it just is like this giant void in the moon. And honestly, this this um, scene, this shot, reminds me a lot of that. Because there's just this absolute void in the hill. And my first question is, how is that tree standing? I've done archaeological yeah. digs around trees, and it, that's not a thing. You have to keep clearance, or that thing will collapse. Yeah, so they kind of dig into the side of the hill. And the more they dig into the side of the hill, the, the tree kind of like leans over and becomes like part of this like hangnail of a hill and the tree's still there and then eventually it cuts and the tree's gone so presumably they did spend some time but it is a quite amusing point of view and also just the further down the tractors go they, they're creating quite a deep hole if to the point where when you stop you when the scene kind of stops of them digging you can't see the tractors anymore. They're so deep down. So how are they getting out? Yeah, that's a good question. Okay, so here's what my thought is on the relevance of this scene. This is kind of where the book ends. Am I right? Yeah, from the, what I remember, the farmers yes. Just, the farmers just dig and then Fox just digs away. Obviously, Fox goes on to steal their chickens and then the farmers just wait in the hole to, for him to come out, and he's never going to come out. Yeah, they like the one of the final images is of the three farmers with their guns, like sitting in the hole, and it's raining. Yeah. So yeah, this is effectively so this is, where the book so, ends. I mean, uh, there's stuff that Fox still has to do, and I think when we get to Petey later, I think he kind of has a symbolic nod to it, which I will mention. But really right now, the digging is kind of the last thing the farmers have to do in the plot of the book. So I think that's really the only significance of this minute is that we're getting to their end plot. We see them stop digging in this minute. We see the tractors all shut down and the lights all turn off. I wonder, though, if thinking about this as the end of the book and Fox, because in the book, Fox gets the last laugh and he still steals and the farmers have no clue what the difference and maybe this is something we'll want to talk about later when we actually see those changes but what that means for the general story of the movie versus the book and the adaptation process and why some of the choices were made that were yeah in terms of fox's character arc like how he gets from one place to another why give him the emotional depth that they do as opposed to just keeping him a trickster character throughout the whole film. Yeah, well, I think that's what we've been kind of analyzing this whole time is like, how does Wes Anderson take this 
minimal plot and turn it into something with depth and character and just real adult human emotions out of a a kid's narrative. It's interesting to think about that. We've kind of in, we're like a little bit into act two. We're not like fully flushed out into act two or probably. We're 37 minutes in and we're almost where the book ends. Yeah. So just thinking about if this had been a faithful adaptation, what kind of film this or what kind of movie this would have been. I don't think you could have made a movie of just the... I think you could have made it a really cool short. Like some of the old classic Disney shorts that like Mr. Toad or like Ichabod or even like Willy the Whale, which was like a seven minute short. Like you could have done a really cool short with that story though. And even um Eos... I, I can never Eos Trio Tortoise Backward the Tortoise one Roald Dahl's Tortoise story about the two floors like the two apartments. I have no clue what that what that is. All right, so <laughs> that one is one of his shorter works, and it's basically about two apartments that live above each other, and one has this old lady with a tortoise and this older gentleman who's quite curmudgeonly, and their relationship and. It develops through the the interactions between the older gentleman and the tortoise that she owns. And two, three years ago, there was a short kind of thing made in the UK with Dame Judi Dench as the lead. I haven't seen all of it, but I'm pretty sure it's just kind of a short kind of deal and not like a full-length film but I honestly am not 100% sure because I haven't seen it. But they were advertising it on the Graham Norton show one time a couple years ago. So it it's one of those things that you can elongate a plot if needed, but also Roald Dahl has this nice compact nature about him that you very well could do shorts. And I think doing a compilation shorts, like imagine if The Revolting Rhymes... You know that, like, the fairy tale series that he wrote? Yeah. If that was Mm -hmm. just a bunch of shorts, that would be really cool as a bunch of shorts. And you could do different animation, or you could do live action and have lots of different... That's very storyteller-esque, I think, though. I've got a bureau over there, and I can open the drawer, and there's a bunch of shorts in there. Oh, wow. Wow. But I think it would be interesting, like, for someone to take... Roald Dahl at face value, because even, like, Matilda and the witches altered as needed, and James and the Giant Peach. I think those are... Okay, James and the Giant Peach accepted because that movie's garbage. Um, all right. We'll have this conversation <laughs> All later. of these other films... All of these other films, I think, kind of have a slightly sensible, like, plot progression that fits a feature... Willy Wonka, like, okay, starts poor, he finds the ticket, they go to the different rooms, he through the glass elevator. Things happen, it's, you can kind of make a structure out of it to get 90 minutes out of it. Matilda fleshes it out a little bit, but, like, you can kind of see that the simple story arc is there. This film is unique in that it really goes with it, and he takes the premise, but he shoots it out and goes to its farthest possible. I just wonder, though, if that detracts from Rule Dahl's story like if then you're like this is one of my favorite films of all time kind of thing and like I think about the story and it's like well why then if Wes Anderson had to go so far off book 
why was he so attracted to this story? Like, what about it makes it worthwhile? I think Wes Anderson saw the potential for a story he wanted to tell. And a criticism of Wes Anderson is that he tells the same story. He tells he tells stories about, like, a guy who, like, is kind of dope at everything he does, but at the same time, like, doesn't quite fit in and has, like, missed family connections or whatever. So he's, like, a specialist in some way, and he's just got to, like, learn how to fit in with the real world. That is fair. And that's the only story Wes Anderson really tells, and it's usually uh, white people, like, middle-aged man-centric, and there's usually, like one non-white character who's in like a subservient role and that would have been kylie in this movie probably Mm -hmm. (laughs) and there's a woman who's like uh my husband or whatever yeah and so i think this movie kind of rises above the wes anderson tropes in a way that like exactly what you just described is what this movie is like i don't necessarily i think it's maybe the most wes anderson-y if that's what we're going off of, because, like, that be it. But also, because I'm thinking of, like, Isle of Dogs, that's less of the case in that movie. Like, that plot line isn't yeah, really... Yeah, Isle of the Dogs, he definitely, he definitely veers story-wise. There's still some of the same beats that are there, mm-hmm. but he kind of maintains tone and self-parody aspects. Definitely. Okay, do you want to talk about Ash and Christopherson? Uh, sure. So we cut from the farmers digging to Ash and Christopherson sitting in a hole, the hole, as it were. And they're they're kind of sitting on opposite sides of a wall, each doing their own thing. Ash is reading a comic book and Christopherson is meditating. In the background, we see Fox and Felicity sleeping next to each other. Fox is sleeping on his back. <laughs> and then there... <laughs> They're on the side of Ash, and then on Christopherson's side, we in the background, we see Kylie sleeping. And then also in the background, we see a vast number of, like, cave paintings and drawings, which is another hilarious gag, much like the mineral deposit, where I'm like, oh, they're just digging to these beautiful, un- like, unfindable worlds that would have so much archaeological or geological value to anyone that found it. But to these critters, they're just trying to escape. And it's it's a subtle gag, but it's hilarious. It's interesting that, that those level of details that we were pointing out in the house continue into these, like, unexpected <laughs> yeah. locations. Uh-huh. And so, and, and they're, they're human cave drawings, too. They're not critter cave drawings. There's drawings of humans or, like, spearing cows, and presumably that's what humans would draw. It's not like cave drawings of like foxes stabbing rabbits, which I feel like is what like a DreamWorks movie would do. Oh, absolutely. I feel like that is the case in, um, oh, what's that movie? I feel like I've seen that before in like a DreamWorks movie. It's okay. I don't know. It might be How to Train Your Dragon. That's the one I've seen the most of. So probably that. How to Train Your Dragon 2, even more training of your dragon. <laughs> How to Train Your Dragon 3, the most trained dragon. How how to Train Your Dragon 3 is, how is your dragon not trained yet? Honestly, (laughs) you should get on that. (gasps) Did I tell you I got to see a Wallace and Gromit? So I went to a DreamWorks exhibit, like the Pixar one that toured a few years ago. I saw a DreamWorks one when I was in Canada a few weeks ago. And they had a Wallace and Gromit. They had a set from Wallace and Gromit. 
and getting to see that I did see a picture. Oh, right, right, right. I did send I did send you a picture. But but, for, but continue to describe at this point. For our listeners. So there was this set and it was so Wallace and Gromit, like Fantastic Mr. Fox is a claymation film. It's done in a different Whoa, really? Whoa. It's done in a different style than Fantastic Mr. Fox, obviously. Um, in that it is much more clay based. It's it's also like artistically it's more blobby and not trying to be as photorealistic. Yeah. The characters are more exaggerated in different ways. Absolutely. So you have like weird... And simplest. Oh, absolutely. And so this exhibition like had Chicken Run and it had... Wallace and Gromit and it had flushed away and all so like the that studios like it's a sub studio of DreamWorks or something or like they contract yeah. with mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure how it works with them but so it had all these puppets from Where Rab- uh, Curse of the Were Rabbit which is a Wallace and Gromit film and then they had one from Flushed Away and then a couple from Chicken Run and it was so cool to see a full scale set because I mean I've been like I have a Nightmare Before Christmas book and I have Coraline documentaries and I have the Fantastic Mr. Fox books and all that kind of stuff and seeing the people for scale kind of thing next to them is really interesting but being up close and being like oh my god it's a tiny little zucchini that's like two inches long and it is so precious Mm -hmm. and just seeing yeah no that's really cool I'm glad you brought this up and seeing uh Gromit too and how he was positioned that they could do this like simple movement like he's measuring the zucchini his prize-winning zucchini for the fair the festival kind of thing and it's really neat to just see that um that positioning and the level of detail like i tried to get behind it and they had like grime like they'd added grime to the windows of the greenhouse because that's realistic for a film like just like seeing those details up close and like what materials they used was really really cool and just gave me a better appreciation for our film uh fantastic mr fox because same medium but um different materials so it's a lot more fabrics Mm -hmm. and stuff which causes a whole different beast so yeah christopherson what's interesting about this minute is christopherson initiates the conflict with ash yes I think. Yes. So Christopherson, they're both sitting in silence. And then Christopherson kind of is like, I don't have beagle ticks, by the way. And Ash tries to play it off. And so apparently Ash has been gossiping that Christopherson has beagle ticks and pelt lice. So <laughs> Ash is a little uh, bad kid, which is why we need to kill him. No. <laughs> they just need to get better and learn. The thing I was uh. kind of interested in in this, it well, there were a couple things, but Ash's use of redirection and, like, not quite blaming, but re... What is that tactic? They talk about it a lot in, like, politicky things, and I'm not going to go there, but, like, turning the question on it, like, the person and being like, oh, we should focus on this topic instead. That was um. It was kind of like whoa. These two these two bo- boys are ready to fight each other. Yeah, luckily it doesn't come to fists, but it's it's interesting that yeah, Ash is using these rhetoric tricks to take try to take the blame off of himself, and Christopherson's just like, I really like Agnes. I want I want to like be a thing, and Ash is like. I, yeah, I don't like her when he obviously does. So Yeah. The one thing I do like about Christofferson, though, is he's like, I think she likes me. I hope she does. Like, it's a respectful of, 
there's some respect to Agnes's wishes in this. It might not be like fully forthcoming, mm-hmm. but it, it's kind of there. Yeah. All right. I have one comment and one question. So I'll start with, or two questions really, but one is related to my comment. So I want to talk about the daylight thing first. So Christofferson brings up the point. It's like, I don't know if we'll ever see daylight again. I don't know if this is the case for foxes, but I know like other animals, like how are they living? Do they have water? How are they eating? Like a lot of mammals need those basic staples and like ox- like fresh oxygen and stuff. How are they not dead? They've only been in, they've seemed like they've only been digging for like a night. I'm assuming a fox can go a night without eating or drinking. Yeah. It's just one of those things that like Christofferson's inevitability of, them never seeing the light of day again just got me thinking oh what would happen if that was the case what else my other thing is so while the boys are divided uh between with the wall between them uh christopherson is meditating which we've seen him do a whole a whole bunch of times and or speak about a whole bunch of times and then ash is reading a comic book in which it's a two-part thing for me one we see the cover of the comic book and it's um one of the the fox he dresses up as his name is white cape Cape. um we've seen posters in his room and stuff on that and in the book it has a little comic like the very last thing in the book is the book the comic that chris uh, ash is reading and it's called white cape versus the black dog our fearsome night prowler versus a bloodthirsty bite gang and it's just it's just really cute kind of little comic and it's like the reds and the blacks and it's um the printed copy in the book is um only in black and white which is kind of cool you're talking about the 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 art of fantastic mr fox book yes correct sorry the making of fantastic mr fox yeah so it's just got like a couple pages from it and i don't know if it's a full thing but then it's got this joke like if you want to subscribe for more like like one of those little <laughs> cards that you would get. I like that. So it's this I really like that. I'm a big it's fan. a really cute little book. It also raises the question, uh, why does Ash have this comic that book? That was gonna they, be my question. They've been digging they've been digging all this time and he had a comic book in his back pocket. That was gonna be my question is where did this comic book come from? And I've been watching a lot of um, Sims Let's Plays recently, and they do that a lot with, like, roses, where, like, the rose will just appear from behind their back, and it's like, where were you keeping that? But it's still funny, like, where was this comic? Like, because he's just in his underwear. It's not like he's wearing Mm -hmm. clothes. You gotta have a comic book with you at all times. That's what I say. It's like his phone. Like, his phone, like, his comic book doesn't leave his side. That seems like about it. (laughs) Ashton Christopherson are a little mad at each other. Christopherson started it. I think that's the only change. We we know yeah. Agnes uh, is involved in this dispute. And that the Mr. and Mrs. Fox seem to be on okay terms. They're sleeping next to each other. We have we have to wonder where it's gonna go from here. Yeah. Well, if you want to find out what happens in minute thirty-eight, join us next week for another exciting, riveting, not as spooky minute of Fantastic Minute. I've been Tyler Boudreaux. You can follow me at my Twitter, which is at Tyler Booty, T-Y-L-E-R-B-O-U-D-Y. You can also follow the show's Twitter page, at Amateur Nerds. Who are you, Kondra? <laughs> uh, Kondra? And you, if you want to send us your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, and you are not on Twitter, feel free to email us at AmateurNerdsPresent at gmail.com. Or just tune in next time and enjoy this sh- 
enjoy this show or you can rate review subscribe on apple podcast or continue listening on google play okay well we hope you join us next time for minute 38 of fantastic minute we hope you have a fantastic day fantastic